Praise the Lord. All right, if you would, um, I'm going to talk to you today about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Sunday before the IMA conference, his brother Cook, is that who the gentleman's name was that brought the word? He mentioned this several times in his sermon about being filled. And I got to asking myself, do we know how to be filled? Do we know how to stay full of the Holy Spirit? How do you do that? I mean, what does that mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean you just pray in tongues a couple minutes every day? A couple shakabahayas and you're, you're filled? Does that mean you got to have somebody lay hands on you in church to be filled? You know, how, how do you stay full of the Holy Spirit to the point where your cup runs over? Psalms 23, David said, my cup runs over. So we're going to look at some scriptures and fly into this. Are y'all ready to roll with me today? Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 20. Okay, this is out of the New King James Version. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Then look what it says on the heels of that, being filled with the Spirit. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Give Him thanks for all things. You know, we each, let's look at our hearts, our souls as a cup. And it, is our cup full of the Spirit of God or is it empty? Well, I'm not talking about being saved or not saved. Of course, if you're saved, you know, you got the Spirit of God in you. If you're saved, you've got the Word of God in you. You're in Christ, He's in you if you're saved. I'm not talking about being saved. If you're saved, you die, you're going to go to heaven. I'm talking about your Christian life, the way you walk it every day. Or, or, is your cup empty or is it full? Is it empty? Look at, look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, it's hard to give God thanks when your cup's empty. When your cup's full, I, those, those days I was in the hospital, there's nothing to do in that hospital. You, the food's not very well. You don't even look forward to that. I couldn't have visitors. I didn't, Elizabeth couldn't be there with me. There was, I brought a book, but I was too sick to read. I just couldn't read. But under my breath, I would just thank the Lord. I would praise him. I would just say, bless your name. Bless your name. Glory to your name. I thank you, Jesus, for all things. And the more I did that, the more power was released, the more of his presence was there. You know, well, the only way, I, I can't do that on my own, but if he's got me full of his spirit, if the spirit has filled my cup to where it's overflowing, I'm able to praise him even in really hard times. I go through all kinds of things in life, and I'm a real sensitive person, so it doesn't take but a little bit of adverse pressure on my soul to where I, I, res, I respond to it or react to it. So if I'm under great financial pressure, for instance, it's real easy for me to get down or low or depressed. How do I fight that? Again, by starting just to bless the Lord, 
to thank him for all things, in all things, for all things. Thank him for my pressure. Thank him for my situation. Thank him for my circumstances. Thank him for the, the place I find. You start doing that, you can't be sad and thank God at the same time. You'll win this victory if you'll just learn how to give him thanks for all things, in all things. As Ephesians says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So learn to get your cup full and then learn to give him praise and thanksgiving in all things and for all things. This is how the disciples did it. After the day of Pentecost, everything was different from then on for them because they were filled with the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts 4, it says when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Acts 13, the Bible says the disciples were filled with the joy with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I could go on and on with scriptures all through the book of Acts. It talks about the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. They did their work because see, the Christian life is really the victorious life of Jesus Christ poured into the human heart. That's what the Christian life is. It's his life poured into your heart. As long as you think you're living that Christian life and you're going to try real hard to live it, just the fact that you're trying hard lets me know that you're off track. You don't need to try hard. That's your, you and your ability to live a Christian life. Beloved one, you'll never do it on your own. It's him. It's Jesus in me, the hope of glory flowing out of me. It's Jesus poured into me that he might flow out to other people. The key is to stay filled with the Spirit. Psalms 23, David said, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had so much of God in him that his cup just spilled over. How did David write so many psalms? How did David write such praise and thanksgiving in the psalms? Uh, beloved, he had a cup full. How will revival come? When I'm talking about revival, I'm not talking about a three-day weekend with a guest speaker. I'm talking about how does God revive your soul to where you're alive and not dead, to where you're full of life and light and love. See, revival is simply the victorious life of Christ poured into the human heart. Jesus pours his resurrected life or waters of life into our cups. Let's look at our soul as a cup. Our cups have got to be clean for revival to come. Our wills must be broken and surrendered. You see, if your cup's dirty, there could be a thousand different things you could do to dirty your cup. If your, your, your cup's dirty, it's because of your unbroken, stiff-necked will that lives in your soul wanting to do its own thing and go its own way. See, if Jesus were here in the flesh, and let's say he had a, a big vase full of the waters of life. And if he, the resurrected Christ, I'm talking about Jesus and all his glory and all his power, the resurrected Christ. If he were in this room and we all said, fill us, Lord, fill our cups. Why would he go to one person and fill their cup 
and skip the next person. Maybe skips two or three. Oh, I'll fill this one, but, and I'll fill the next one, but, I, but not the next person. It depends on, is your cup clean or not? It has nothing to do with whether you're a good person or a bad person. It has nothing to do with how hard you've been trying to live the Christian life. It has to do, is your cup clean or not? And beloved one, revival doesn't come from us trying to live better or harder to live the Christian life. This only produces more self-righteousness, more self-sufficiency, more self-confidence. Revival doesn't come from us being as good squeaky clean as we can and being just as good, beloved one. No, revival comes from conviction and confession. Revival of conviction and con it's not you trying to be good, it's you admitting to God where you are, being honest with God. See, our cups are gonna get dirty, but Jesus wants to cleanse our cups. And, and the only thing that can cleanse the, the dirty cup is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power's in the blood. That may be old-fashioned preaching, but that's the truth. The power over sin is in the blood. Amen. It's the blood of Jesus that removes the sin, removes the stain of sin. It's the blood of Jesus that breaks the power of sin. How do you get the blood of Jesus? You confess your sins, then he washes you clean. Beloved, you've got to confess. You've got your relationship with God's built on confession and repentance and asking and crying out for the blood of the lamb to cleanse your cup all over again. That's all you got to do to get a clean cup. That's when he'll fill your cup with the spirit again. You want to be full of the spirit of God? Learn to confess. This is, you know, that's not the most popular subject, but this is where life is. You want to find life? You find it with through the blood of Jesus. You want to find a full cup where your cup runs over? That means you're going to be full of joy, full of peace, full of love. That means you're going to be full of the presence of God and the power of God and the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the glory of God. When, when He fills your cup, beloved one, that's live, you'll be able to live the victorious Christian life because you finally realize you're surrendering yourself and letting Jesus live the life through you that you can never live in the first place. Be transformed. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, when you got born again, you got saved, your spirit got regenerated. I mean, you were literally born again with a brand new identity, but your soul still needs transforming. You're a threefold being, whether you like it or not. You've got a soul, a spirit, and a body. Your body's going to get glorified one day. It's not going to happen to the, to the resurrection when the Lord comes back in the clouds and we which are alive and remain will meet him in the clouds. He's going to give us a brand new glorified body. Amen. That's exciting. Our spirit has already been glorified because it's been regenerated and made new. All things made new. That part of you is just like the Lord. That part of you is just like Christ. The Holy Spirit has been fused together with your spirit. But your soul with your will your emotions, 
you know, your memory that, you, that lives in your soul. Your soul is this thing that you, you carry through life that you wish was, was made whole, that you wish was perfect, that you wish was just like Jesus. And, and it can really discourage you if, you if you don't understand what's going on. Beloved, your soul needs to be transformed. And that's what Jesus wants to do. But it takes a, a relationship, an honest relationship with him of continual conviction and confession in order for him to bring that change forth in your soul that you long for. I want to be more like Jesus. That's what the whole thing is for me. I, every day I pray, Lord, make me more like you. Well, when I pray that way, guess what he'll do? He'll put his finger on something in my life, something going on in my soul that shouldn't be going on. He'll convict me of that. And how I respond to that conviction is whether I'm going to be changed or not. I could liken it to a pipe between, like a big pipe, a PVC pipe, a plumbing piece, you know, between us and God. And what happens when all these little sins go on in our life that we don't deal with, we don't confess, we don't get them under the blood, it's like clogging up our pipe or, or clogging up your communication channel between you and the Lord. It's harder to hear Jesus. It's harder to get an answer to your prayers, you know, when it's all clogged up. You can unclog it just like that. A little bit of confession and repentance and ask the Lord to put the blood on you, sprinkle the blood on my mind. I do that all the time. Lord, forgive me for that thought. You might just be getting irritated or agitated or frustrated. You know, it, sin comes in a thousand little ways. It, your brother offends you. Now there's an offense between you and your brother that you don't want to deal with. I could, I could go on and on and on about the thousand faces of sin or the thousand forms of sin that all comes in our will from our own W-I-L-L, our will, that choosing little mechanism inside of us that wants to go its own way and do its own thing. That stubborn, stiff-necked will creates all kind of trouble in our life. But you don't, have to, you don't have to allow the consequences of that trouble. You don't have to allow the ramifications of those choices. You don't have to allow all this sin to dirty your cup where you don't have the Spirit of God flowing out of you. We can learn. The Bible says, I've read that. Let me move on. I went backwards, didn't I? There we go. When I talk about us having a soul that needs to be transformed, I want to remind you that you're in Christ. Every believer has got Christ in them and you're in him. And, and that's our new identity. That's our true identity. My truest, most real identity is who I am in Christ. I've been born again. My spirit's been regenerated. All things are made new. I'm a child of God. If you're saved, you're a child of God. You're an heir to the throne. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. In Christ, we're righteous. In Christ, we're holy. In Christ, we're sanctified. And, and the Lord puts us in Christ the day we get saved. You'll never be any more holy than that. You'll never be any more sanctified than that. But we still have this soul that needs to be changed. 
this soul with a lifetime of, of memories, a lifetime of, of taking in all kind of information from different people, from, from the media, from television and radio and movies and just all this junk gets programmed into our soul. So God will spend the rest of your life changing that. It's not going to happen at all overnight. It comes here little, there little, precept upon precept, line upon line. That's the way your soul gets cleansed, one little thing at a time. What's he convicting you of today? He's not trying to change you all in one day. He's putting his finger on one little thing, one little thing in your life, and that's what he's asking you to let go of. I hope y'all follow that. Here's our problem. We protest our innocence. In other words, I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. I live a great life compared to almost everybody else I know. So I protest my innocence. Well, the, great, the best place to look at the parable to show us how not to behave is the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. In Luke 18, 10, if you got your Bible, I'm in the New King James Version. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. In other words, he was looking at a group of people that trusted in their own ability and their own good, clean living to be righteous. And they looked down on others that they thought didn't live as clean as they did. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Your King James will say a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed with Thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector here. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. The Pharisee, I hope we can sense his self-righteous view of life. He thought he was so holy because he lived this real religious life. And he was so happy that he lived such a better life than this tax collector. Of course, tax collectors back in Bible days are not like the IRS agents of today. These were thieves. These were real rich people that took advantage of the Jewish people. The Roman government basically allowed them to steal as much as they wanted to steal. So they were despised and looked down on by all of society. The Bible says the tax collector standing afar off would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus' words, he said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So protesting our innocence doesn't get us anywhere. We want revival to come and we can just keep thinking about all the good things we do in life and all the, the good Christian uh, behaviors that we have and how we behave so much better than our friends. And, uh, you know, revival's not going to come that way. Revival's going to come by you putting your finger on something wrong inside your soul, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wash me in your blood all over again. Lord, I need the blood of Jesus. I'm going to confess this thing I've got between my brother. I'm going to confess this problem where, where I lose my patience. I'm, I'm, where I, I'm going to confess this fear I have, fear of losing everything or fear of whatever it may be, you know. 
Beloved, if you got operating in fear instead of faith, you need to confess that thing. Put the blood of Jesus on it. One drop of the blood of Jesus is stronger than all the fears of man combined in the world. One drop of the blood of Jesus is stronger than all a demonic host. One drop of the blood of Jesus is stronger than, the, than this habit you have in your life that you've been wanting to break over and over. Beloved, learn to confess it and put the blood of Jesus on it and watch God do a miracle in your life. Praise the Lord. The heart of man. See, we protest our innocence, but, but in that soul, in that soul, one-third of our being is, is yet to be completely transformed. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How many of y'all in life have been taught to follow your heart? You know, just instead of, no, don't follow your head, follow your heart. That's, well, I don't know if I follow that guidance. I think that might get you in trouble. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, they were going on about having to wash your hands because if you put anything unclean in your mouth, you're defiled. And he flipped that on them and said, no, it's just the opposite. He said, whatsoever comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. What Jesus is trying to tell us is, beloved, there, there's, a, there's a nasty side to our being. There's a very human side to our being. There's a very sinful side to our being. And I know I've spent weeks teaching this church how to walk in victory because we're walking in Christ. In Christ, I'm holy and I'm sanctified. And that's who I am. I'm not my old man. I am my new man. But at the same time, you need to stay balanced and understand you're dragging this soul through time on your way to eternity and the Lord's trying to change that part of you. That's what he's working on. So we have to, if we protest our innocence, we're never going to get better. It's better to, you know, call a spade a spade. It's, it's, it's better to admit when something's wrong with you and confess it to the Lord, repent of it to the Lord. That's all, that's all you got to do. The Bible said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not about you being religious. It's not about you living good, moral, clean, living life. No, it's about you humbling yourself and saying you need a savior. If I needed a savior that 30 something years ago, the day I got saved, well, how much more do I need a savior today? How much more do I need a Savior to keep cleansing and transforming my soul? I need him just like I've always needed him. It's all about conviction and confession. If you hadn't turned to a scripture today, this may be one you want to write down or turn to. It's one of the more familiar scriptures in the Bible. And I know I'm not on a PhD level today. We're down about in fifth grade. But this is really, really important to understand this. The Bible said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Boy, there's a lot of truth right there in those few verses. That's just packed with truth. First, he says, if, 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 if we walk in the light as he's in the light, light reveals, darkness hides. What, what are you hiding from your spouse? What are you hiding from your church friends? Is there anything in your life that you just would not want me to put up on the board about you? See, this is the problem. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They hid. They covered themselves, their nakedness and their shame, and they tried to hide from God. First thing darkness does, when we're in the dark, we want to hide. Jesus is saying, hey, let's just bring it all out into the light. Let's just let's walk in the light as he is in the light. And if you do this, you can have fellowship one with another, fellowship with God, fellowship with man. The, the more you learn to confess and bring, bring things out of darkness into the light, the greater your fellowship's going to be, the greater your fellowship with God, the greater your fellowship with the saints, the more transparent you are. People that wear a mask to church, they never do find intimacy with the body of Christ. They never get connected. If you learn how to just take your mask off and be who you are, let Jesus wash you in his blood. Man, that's how you get clean. You don't get clean by wearing a mask. You get clean by getting washed in the blood of the lamb. Fellowship with God, fellowship with man. Revival comes with full cups. And that begins with conviction and confession. See what he's talking about, confession? He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus is what's going to cleanse you from sin. If you say that you have no sin, you're deceived and the truth's not even in you. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's true for the day you get saved. If you want to get saved, you, had to, you got to confess and repent of your sins and give your heart to Jesus. But if you've been saved 20, 30, 40 years, beloved, and you want more intimacy with God, I'm telling you, this is how you do it right here. You confess your sins to him. Whatever it is, you say, well, it's a little bitty thing. Well, it's, it might be a little bitty thing to you, but it might be a big thing to God. If you're a brand new Christian, you're going to be confessing different kind of sins than if you've been walking with Jesus for 35, 40 years. Do y'all see that? The man that's walked with God for a long time, his sins aren't nearly the same sins of a, a Christian that's only been born again for a year or two. But nevertheless, what happens is, is Christians stop confessing. After the years go by, they stop confessing because they think they're living so much better than they did before they were saved, and you are. But if you want to really draw close to him, learn to confess those little things. You lose your temper, confess it. You get frustrated with someone, confess that. You know, you're agitated, confess that. You, you got self-righteousness, confess that. Self-confidence. Self-sufficiency, self, self, 
self-pity, self. If, if anything's birthed out of the self, man, then the self is in the center. Confess that to the Lord. Watch what happens. I'm, just, I'm telling you something. I'm not giving you some kind of magical formula. Just watch the reality of this. You'll start getting your cup full again. You'll be full of the Holy Ghost again. You'll be full of the Spirit of God again. You'll have love and joy and peace just oozing out of you. It'll be spilling over to other people. That doesn't come by trying your best to live better. No, it comes by you admitting you're a sinner and confessing that sin to the Lord. I, I, I confess things under my breath all the time. I confess things when I'm driving, when I'm talking to the Lord all the time. Why? Because I'm always praying, Lord, convict me. Convict me. Show me what, where I'm missing it. Show me what's the next area in my life I need to get... I need to deal with. And then it says here, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's nothing you've ever done that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse you from. There's nothing, no matter how gross it may be, how sinful it might be, how wicked it is, it's still, beloved, not as powerful as the blood of Jesus. All you got to do to get rid of that sin and the guilt and the condemnation is to confess that to the Lord. Repent of it. Tell him you're tired of it. Let it go. Can I get an amen out there? Amen. How does it come? Well, you got to be broken. If, you're not, if your will's never broken, you're never going to want to surrender. You're never going to want to confess. You're never going to want to draw closer. And the only way to be broken, the only thing that works for me is to get a fresh vision of the cross of Calvary. When I can see the cross, when I can see Jesus, beloved, it breaks me every time. Then I'm, then I'm willing, I'm willing to get rid of everything in my life wrong. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I want to look at Isaiah 53. The other day, my wife was sharing with me we like to share with what we're studying in the morning. After we study in the morning, we like to come together and talk. And she had tears in her eyes. And she started quoting Isaiah 53 all over again, like it was brand new, like it was the first time I'd ever heard it, you know, coming out of her mouth. And, and her, her heart was broken. And I saw that God had just given her a new vision of the gospel, a new vision of Calvary, a new vision of the cross. And this is how we advance. We all need a new, fresh vision of the cross. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement Our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
All I know is my own experience, spring of 1988. I just, just recently had a fresh touch from the Lord and a preacher preached this powerful sermon. And afterwards he had an altar call and I just knelt down in my chair. And you've, I've probably told you this story before a hundred times, but I'm gonna tell it again. And uh, as I knelt down, all of a sudden running through my mind were all the sins. God just had all these different sins just rolling through my mind like a, like a reel-to-reel, old-fashioned movie reel. You know, I can just see it running through my mind. I'm on my knees. And I'm telling the Lord I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confessing. I'm repenting. And I'm saying, I'm sorry. Cleanse me from all of this. And then... I felt the judgment of God on my shoulders. I felt like God was about to kill me. It just like his wrath and his anger and his fury, all that was coming down upon me. I was kneeling and I was crying, and, and, but yet I, I knew that God was about to destroy me. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord took me to Calvary, and I could see Calvary. I mean, I was, I was there. I'm not talking about my imagination. I'm talking about when the Spirit of the Lord takes you somewhere. And there I saw him, and he was so bloodied and bruised and broken, and you could hardly recognize him. His, his visage was so marred. And uh, as I looked upon him, and then I felt all this anger and wrath and judgment that was falling on my shoulders. I felt it lifted off of me, and literally I saw it being placed upon the Son of God. And that was the day I learned that he died for me. That was the day I got born again, spring of 1988. And it's still that real today. Amen. I'm sorry. Sorry, my dear. If you can just have a fresh vision of Jesus on the cross, if you can see him and realize that he did that for you, he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He, he, he did it for me. He did it for you. It's easy now to bend my will and say, Lord, change me. Lord, show me what's wrong in my soul. Show me what... I need to be convicted of that I might confess it and get it out of my life. I want my cup clean. This is our last slide, next to last slide. I'm just gonna share this one more little thought with you about this. I call it I-35. There's a highway mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, okay? So if you don't, you'll remember that, doing it this way. I love the Lord. He's been so good to me. I'm sorry. We're going to get through this. I-35. Y'all can remember that. Isaiah 35. 
All right, I'm going to try. And there's a highway. See, I told you there's a highway there. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast will be there. They will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. (laughs) Those the Lord has rescued will return. And they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. (laughs) There's a highway. I want you to think of this highway in the spirit as a place where we can walk, where the resurrected Jesus walks on this highway with his golden vase full of water. And everybody on this highway has got a full cup. He's pouring his waters of life into our hearts, into our souls, into our cups. And everybody on this Highway is able to praise the Lord for all things, in all things. We're able to give him thanks for everything going on in our life. We're, we're not in the pit of depression because we're giving him thanks continually on this highway. And nobody that's unclean can get on this highway. And a man wrote a book called Calvary Road. I think his name was Roy Hessen. This idea came to me 20 years ago through reading that book. He, he gave a picture. He said, what we do is we crawl up Calvary's hill. As sinners, we crawl up that hill. And then one day we see Jesus on the cross and we give our life to him. It changes everything about our life. And then he had, we see a little door there, but we gotta get really small and crawl through that little door. And once we go through that door, then the blood of Jesus starts washing us and cleansing us. And the other side of that door is I-35, this highway of holiness. And we learn how to walk on this highway. Now, self-righteousness doesn't get you on this highway. You being a good boy, a good girl, won't ever get you on this highway. The only thing that's ever going to get you on this highway is coming through the cross and letting the blood of the Lamb... The blood of Jesus Christ himself wash you and cleanse you. Then that's how it says the unclean won't walk on the highway. Well, that, the unclean are those that won't confess. They're walking in darkness. They don't want to be revealed. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. You've got to walk in light where you want to be honest and confess. You don't have to confess everything to your mate or to your neighbor Learn to do it to Jesus. He wants you to live this open, transparent life without wearing a mask, just in the light with him, confessing everything that's unlike him or his nature. Can I get an amen on that? Last slide. I just want to tell you how revival comes. Y'all would like revival at return? I know one thing we've got to do is learn to keep the doors open. We've been closed for a month. (laughs) Lease are open, and and thank you all for coming today. I know we ask you to wear a mask, and that's no fun, but you came anyway. So next week, there'll be more, and our crowd will eventually get back to what it was again. 
We'll get used to the mask thing. One day the coronavirus will be behind us. You know, if you've had the coronavirus, my doctor told me that I'm immune. He said, there's a one in a million chance you can catch it again. He said, you don't need to worry about it. So if you've had the coronavirus, that's really a nice thought, isn't it? You don't, you don't have to worry. I'm just trying to get my senses back so I can close here. I want to make an announcement. But revival comes. It doesn't come with a talented speaker and, and having a three-day weekend. That's one form of what we would call revival. But revival really comes when there's a new, I'm talking about in your life, in my life, do we want to be revived? Do we want to be on fire? Do we want our cups full? It comes, number one, with a new awareness of conviction of sin among the saints. Now, I'm not saying we, we have a big crowd and there's lost people here, and of course there's conviction of sin for the lost, but revival comes in your life I don't care if you've been a saint for 50 years. It comes when you be become aware for the need of conviction of sin. If, if you, some people go on months and months and months without any prayer time at all, confessing any sin at all because they're not convicted. You, I pray all the time, Holy Spirit, convict me. Show me where I'm wrong. Just grab my heart and convict me. Number two, it comes with a fresh vision of the cross of Jesus and of redemption. When you pray, if you'll look at him, if you'll read Isaiah 53, if you'll read the Psalms, if you'll read the Gospels, just get a vision of the cross. Put your mind on the cross. That's how revival's gonna come. Number three, a willingness of man toward brokenness, repentance, confession, and restitution. Again, it doesn't come by us trying to be better. It comes by us calling our life, what is in our life, confessing it to be what it is, bringing it into the light. And then number four, an experience of the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse fully from sin and to restore all that sin has lost or broken. If you're just getting a little spiritual dead, start right here, man. Just start pleading the blood of Jesus in your life. Ask the Lord to sprinkle his blood upon your soul. I ask him all the time, one drop of blood on my heart is all I need. Just give me the power of the blood of Jesus. That's where all the power is. You think demonic activity has got you down? Learn to use the blood of Jesus. The demonic activity will flee. The darkness will flee. The power of the darkness will flee. And then there's a new feeling of the Holy Spirit and his power. That's what comes after this, these steps. And then finally, there's a new gathering of the lost to Jesus. I think that's